In 2015, a great reporting unit was formed at TheBarkBoard.com. These men promptly escaped the maximum security of Bulldog Stadium in Fresno, California. Today, still wanted by the public, they thrive on their reporting. If you need your Fresno State news, and no fighting Bulldog will do, maybe you can find the Red Wave Report. Welcome back, everyone, to a brand new edition of the Red Wave Report. My name is Lucio, your host slash producer of the show. And as you can tell by our show intro music there, I'm feeling a little playful today. And, well, I can't do it alone. So here's my better half of the show, Josh Webb. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Red Wave. Uh, we got plenty of exciting stuff today. Lucio and I were out at a camp, but we got uh, more on that later. Uh, Lucio, what, what, what's on today's docket, El Producer Extraordinaire? Well, I believe uh, um, we're going to be talking to a special guest of yours, David Wunderlich. Uh, we'll be talking about the old miss story something i know you're more familiar with than i am so this is true uh what we're going to be talking to him about today is we're going to be talking to him about the 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 report that obviously uh we put out last week about fresno state siding with alabama uh, a deal to play them in 2017 that's now been confirmed uh but we're also going to be looking ahead to the old miss game which would be the second week of this season uh following abilene christian uh, Dave is actually an SEC writer for SB Nation, a Florida alum, and one of the more thoughtful and intelligent guys we have. He sort of knows jack of all trades with everything SEC. Um, and, and without further ado, I guess I'll bring him on so I can stop telling you about him and he can tell you about himself. So, Dave, uh, all the way from Italy, mind you, right, uh, joining us. And so thank you very much, Dave. It's a pleasure to have you on. It's great to be here. How's it going? Uh, it, for me, it's going rather well. It's about like what, like nine, ten o'clock there? I don't What time is it there in Italy? Yeah, it's uh, it's eight o'clock p.m. for me. Um, and I'm for your listeners, I'm here because my wife is in the uh, United States Navy and she's stationed over here and I decided to follow and uh, I've been eating lots of Nutella and pasta ever since. <laughs> and watching and, and, and we had a conversation about actually when, when I say Italian football, I don't actually mean what people think we mean when we say Italian football, actual Italian football. Uh, Dave and I were discussing uh, taking over as what well, was it? We're going to do quarterback and tight end combination, or did we do coach and OC? Did we decide? I don't know if we decided, but I think either one would work because uh, the team was really, really bad this year. Uh, they lost every game they played because um, there is an Italian football that league that plays American style football, not not soccer. And uh, yeah, Naples, where I'm at, actually has two teams: an upper division and a lower division. And uh, neither one won a single game in 2015. So they could definitely use our help. Now, guys, is this is this a remnant of the, the World Football League that they used to have? Uh, no, this this is not World Football. This is not NFL Europe. This is an actual IFL. Okay, because I'm not I, – most of the uh, fans are probably not going to be not aware of it like I am. So I'm – this is all new. To actually, me. you know, fun fun story, and I and I kind of told this on on I believe another Red Wave reporter, a Bulldog Blast podcast, but a story that sort of ties into to the Fresno area. Uh, Dick Manoogian's son John, who played at SC, is actually playing for Basel uh, right now, the Basel Gladiators in Switzerland. So there are apparently American football leagues throughout countries in europe and and they take the game pretty seriously not gonna say they're overly exceptional at it but apparently they play it and they they play it well enough i mean they certainly probably play it better than some of the teams uh that that have gone division one in recent years but uh enough about the italians unless it's going to be about their food uh Dave, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background for those who are unfamiliar with you, and then we'll jump right into some of our questions. Sure. So uh, I was born and raised in Florida, uh, Gator all my life. My first game was when I was about four years old, and I still have the ticket stub from that Kentucky game. Um, I went to college there for uh, the tail end of the Ron Zook era and the beginning of Urban Meyer, and uh, I started regularly blogging about uh, college football in 2006. I uh, joined up with Team Speed Kills in 2008, and uh, that's kind of been my gig ever since. And uh, 
you know, aside from being a Florida guy, I know that that I've had you on other podcasts. I mean, you're you're sort of a guy that that does a lot of. I'm not going to specifically say SEC coverage, but. I would say, I mean, you do do that. That's kind of obvious. But I would say that you touch on a lot of fun stuff, like theoretical topics in and around the SEC. And I, and I know that we've discussed some of this stuff on a previous podcast. So I'll kick off my first question by saying, with the news now coming out that Alabama's has scheduled Fresno State, and you sort of look at the schedule that Fresno State had last year, and then going into what happened with TCU and how they didn't get into the playoff, but Ohio State did, I want to tie that all into one bow and say, are you going to see a trend of schools like Alabama, like Ole Misses, et cetera, who view the fr- – and I'm not saying that this is fact. I'm gonna, This is, again, maybe what their perception is when they line these games up. But they might view these games as sort of an enhancement of the quote-unquote body bag games that they used to be able to get away with scheduling but now are not able to because of what happened with TCU. Do you think we're going to see a lot more Marshalls, Fresno States, etc. being scheduled by these powerhouses? As far as I can tell, we're still going to see that because what happened last year was a case of Ohio State had one – Power five school out of conference, and Baylor had zero. Um, and that's really what it came down to one beat zero. Um, I think everybody uh, on the committee seemed to give Baylor the edge over TCU, even though TCU did have a, a Big Ten team. They had Minnesota. Um, but because Baylor beat TCU, um, the, the committee kind of gave Baylor the edge there. So it came down to Ohio State versus Baylor, one versus zero, and the one beat zero. Um, but that still leaves uh, for the schools that play nine. Game schedules, it still leaves two room for two cupcakes, and, and the ones that do uh, eight uh, game schedules, it still leaves three uh, non-Power 5 school slots available. And so I, I just think we'll still see it. Um, it'll be interesting to see if the market changes at all, because the, the number of those games available has been going down. Um, the SEC and the ACC have implemented rules that'll take effect pretty soon, where uh, everybody has to play at least one Power 5 team out of conference. Now, that uh, doesn't make a huge deal because really there's only a handful of schools. Like the Mississippi schools would try to avoid the Power Fives, or, and Texas A&M's been doing that lately. But, you know, a, a lot of even, – even like Vanderbilt likes to play Wake Forest and Duke and, and the other schools it sees as its academic peers. So that in and of itself doesn't make a big difference. But the Big Ten's going to a nine-game schedule. And if the ACC and SEC decide to go to nine-game schedules in the future – um, then we'll see the pool for, for these games uh, shrink. And I think we might potentially see at least a stall in the uh, inflation rate of these games. Because like my, my own alma mater last year uh, paid out $975,000 to Idaho. And, well, <laughs> that game got rained out or lightninged out. So that was actually Lloyd's of London that paid that <laughs> uh, 975 grand. But they also shelled out 850000 to Eastern Michigan and 550000 to, to Eastern Kentucky. And so those are actually budget games compared to like the 1.4 that, that you're seeing Alabama pay for Fresno State. Um, so we'll see if, if those numbers stop growing uh, as, as the pool uh, stops growing because, you know, FBS has been getting bigger every year. I mean, I think we're up to 128 now, and it used to be in the 100 teens not too long ago. So um, they'll still keep scheduling these games. The, the interesting story is going to be if, if the price of, of these games um, stops growing or potentially even falls slightly. So, are, I mean, getting back to that payout subject and, and coming back to your last comment, are, are you thinking that maybe the, the, the payouts will diminish? Is that what you're saying, that maybe teams won't be paying as much for these games? It's possible, or at least it, we'll see a, a temporary stall. I think with the amount of money that's flowing into the sport, um, you know, these schools can, can afford to pay more and more. But yeah, if especially like I said, if if we see um, the SEC or ACC um, add a ninth game, you know that's going to take away you know thirteen to fourteen games per year per conference. So you know twenty six to twenty eight games per year uh, out of that available pool. Um, The Big Ten kind of gave the the group of five conferences a little bit of a gift a couple years ago when they decided they were no longer going to allow FCS opponents Um, and. You know, the SEC and ACC are still going to schedule those as long as they can because, like I said, 
it was a $300,000 difference between Eastern Michigan and Eastern Kentucky for Florida last year. So that tells you why the FCS games are keep getting played. It's because they're so much less expensive. Um, and I know that in the SEC, at least, it's a little bit of a political issue because, like, for instance, in the state of South Carolina, South Carolina and Clemson regularly play Wofford and the Citadel and the 1AA teams down there um, as, as a way to kind of spread the money around. And they would get in, in pretty serious trouble with their state legislatures if they didn't do that. Now, the conference passes a rule, the conference passes a rule, but um, there's going to be some pushback if they try to, you know, swear off the FCS games like the Big Ten did. There's another side to this, too, because, I, I mean, the Alabamas of the world can, you know, obviously, as you say, afford to pay out the 1.4. But when when you get back over to this side of the country, I think they're maybe at least in the minds of some fans saying, why the hell did we schedule the best team in college football? When you I, and, and I feel like 1.4 million reasons is sort of a reductionist answer. On the other side of this coin, from, from where maybe selling this to Fresno State fans as an SEC guy, what's the benefit for a school like Fresno State possibly going down to Tuscaloosa uh, for a beating, and and bear in mind, there's a Alabama have had down years, and I think people would probably argue they're at least due for a, a weird season. I don't know that that means Fresno State would beat them, but it's possible that they could at least play a well enough game that this isn't what people think it would be. But in the event that it is, what what's the benefit? Yeah, and and certainly we've seen Fresno State is one of those programs that has the ability to play Power Five teams tough. So. I, I still don't think I would, uh, you know, predict a Fresno State win down there in Tuscaloosa, but uh, I wouldn't say that it's it's necessarily going to be a fifty point beating. Um, I guess the the biggest selling point is that when you play a team like Alabama that is good in just about every area on the field, if your team has any weaknesses at all, they're going to find them and exploit them and show them off. And maybe that shows your opponents a little something, but it also tells you something. And maybe playing Alabama will show your team something that it may not have been able to figure out on its own or maybe the coaches said hey we can we, we've got a weakness at say cornerback or something so maybe if we uh, play our safeties a different kind of way we can cover for that and Alabama can show you that man maybe that's not going to work so that's probably the the best thing but really it it, it just comes down to the money with these games because you're, you're taking on a loss and you're going to get beat up because Alabama especially is so so much bigger and stronger than it than it you know other teams, even within the SEC, there's a huge gap between you know your Alabamas and your Kentuckys and Vanderbilts and and so forth. So um, that's the best I can sell it is that they potentially can help you get better by showing you areas to improve and and you know maybe you'll say uh, you know hey Alabama's a little weak in secondary maybe if we uh, try this route combination um, it'll work and if it does work on Alabama hey that's going to work against you know Colorado State too. Yeah, and, and I certainly think that one of the other bonuses to this, though I think it's one of those things that's maybe not quite as apparent in the immediate, is that when you go out there as a California school, be it as Fresno State, be it USC, Stanford, whatever, there's always going to be one kid, one or two kids in the South that are like, man, I want, I just want to get the hell out of here and I want to go live just like there are always kids over here that are like, I want to get the hell out of California and go to sunny Florida. It's just for whatever reason, if you're on this coast or that coast, there's always a desire to be on the opposite side. I don't, I don't get it. It's, I, I would venture to guess that Florida and California at their nicest parts, you probably wouldn't be able to tell the difference. But that that seems to be the lay of the land for some of these kids. And I think that if you did well or at least had a fun showing, put on a fun brand of football, maybe some of those kids that, that really feel like the schools in the South just generally have no interest in them whatsoever, they th there's a – you see Fresno, you see them down there. It's a program that's on their mind. And and you send the coach something and all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, Alabama kid wants to talk to us, huh? Well, let's go see what this is about. And like I said, it's it's not something that happens up front right away. You necessarily see the results immediately. But I do think it is something that happens, especially when – and I know they tend to recruit Texas, but – if there were two programs in the South that would guarantee eyeballs, I mean, would you say Texas and Alabama would certainly be the two? 
Absolutely. Uh, Florida State and Miami are up there, though probably not Miami as much anymore. Um, Florida, not as much anymore just because they've been down for a while. But yeah, Texas, Texas A&M, Alabama, you know, these, Florida State, these are kind of some of the glamour pro- programs right now. And I can't believe I just said that about A&M, but Kevin Sumlin makes things fun to watch. So I, I guess I got to include him a little bit. But yeah, I mean, you know, if, if you got a, a kid who's in Alabama and he's being recruited by Memphis and Southern Miss and, uh, you know, the resurrected UAB and he's thinking, you know, maybe it'd be nice to get out of here. And if Fresno State comes in and puts a scare in Alabama and, and say, you know, maybe they lose like 27-20, then that guy will say, hey, you know, maybe Fresno is, is something to look at. So there definitely could be some sort of, uh, you know, resi- residual kind of uh, recruiting benefit like that. And it's it's not necessarily not out of the realm of possibility. Um, if we remember back to uh, Fresno State versus then number one USC, uh, Fresno pretty much was in that game up until the point Reggie Bush took over, and that opened up a lot of eyes. And oh uh, no, they were interest. in that game after that. I'm pretty sure it took a Darnell Bing second interception <laughs> to finally put that team to bed because I just remember God, that year they would not die. It was that, 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 I mean, fans couldn't believe it. They're like, how is this? I, I don't think anybody expected that. And yeah, uh, it's certainly possible that, 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 that could happen at Alabama. <laughs> I would think, uh, yeah, we've seen all too many times, uh, Alabama's had problems with, oh, wasn't it Georgia Southern a couple years back? Didn't they run for something like 300 yards on Alabama, Dave? Oh yeah, it was. I want to say it was two thousand. It might have been two thousand twelve. Their last national championship year. Yeah, Georgia Southern put up three hundred and thirty rushing yards or so on them. And Nick Saban was just furious after the game, like like nothing else. Like you would have thought that they lost or something. Uh, and so yeah, they have Al- Alabama as focused as they as they tend to be. They usually have one or two games a year where they j- things just aren't clicking. Like last year, they they only beat Arkansas fourteen thirteen in the rain. So that you know that was their example from a year ago, but. Um, they're, they're not one of these unstoppable machines. You know, they, they still have only one undefeated season under Saban so far. And, you know, they needed, a, you know, that miracle kick block from Terrence Cody, of all people, uh, to beat Tennessee 12-10 that year. Like, Alabama is great, but they're not completely unstoppable. And it, it's not out of the realm of possibility that, especially if DeRuiter st- sticks around, like, I like what he's doing out there. If, if he sticks around, they could put a, a real good scare in Alabama. And I, I know that there's going to be fans who just take the hardline stance as there's no such thing as a moral victory. There's just not. You either win the game or you lose the game. But you brought up a really interesting point about that Arkansas game, about you know the, the, the Tennessee game some odd years back, the Georgia Southern game with 300 yards. You know, Georgia Southern, they probably had to know they were never going to win that game. But in many ways, isn't 330 yards the win? Because that's all people ever – if you remember nothing else about that game, you remember the opponent was Georgia Southern, and they handed Alabama a perennium shredding on the ground. Uh, and, and that's basically what you remember about that game. And, and if you're Georgia Southern, isn't that the win, that people remember you and not Alabama? It is, and it's also something that I'm sure Georgia Southern took out on the recruiting trail to, to advertise. Like, hey, guys, come here. We can run up 300 yards of rushing on, on mighty Alabama. I mean, can you remember what happened the last time Alabama played Western Carolina? Like, I can't. I, it was probably like 60-something to nothing. I, I don't know. But, <laughs> you know, you remember that because Georgia Southern played them tough and, and rolled up all those yards, and that is something that people remember and, you know, Georgia Southern played their first year in FBS this past season. And, boy, they had a really great year. And it wouldn't surprise me if there's, you know, more than a few players on that team who, you know, Georgia Southern caught their eye because they went into Tuscaloosa and rolled up all those yards. And then, of course, a couple years ago, they beat my own alma mater on their home field. So um, there can be benefits. Um, it, even if you don't win that game, you can still emerge from it with something to sell. Yeah, and, and you know, staying in line with that, what is – you're Fresno State. You you mentioned that you like what DeRuiter's there, so I'm going to make a, a lofty assumption here and say you've seen some things out of Fresno. Knowing what they do in, in a general sense, what would be your strategy then heading into Tuscaloosa 
and, and again, we're making some assumptions here. So we'll just say that the Alabama team sticks with their current offensive and defensive general scheme. And we'll say that Fresno State does about the same thing. When they meet in 2017, how would you plan that out if you were Tim DeRuiter? So something that's been a bit of a, a problem for Alabama, and you know, in addition to um, <laughs> the triple option uh, that they saw there against Georgia Southern, is that they are not doing so great against up-tempo kind of schemes. Um, now, it, uh, you know, it, with Fresno State, that's probably something I would, I would look at doing is pushing the tempo. Um, and, and also, uh, it's very strange that uh, Alabama's secondary has really been struggling. Like There was once a time not too long ago where people used to say that Alabama had a system secondary because they were putting these cornerbacks and safeties into the NFL who weren't doing so hot. And people were saying, oh, well, it's just Nick Saban is making these guys look better than they actually are. But uh, that's not really the case anymore. And, excuse me, yeah, you know, we saw with, uh, you know, with Brian Burrell last year, he, he carried the ball a bunch. Now, he didn't have a great average with, that, with those carries. But having that kind of spread, up-tempo, you know, uh, quarterback carrying the ball, that can get uh, into Alabama's um, head a little bit. And it doesn't always work. You know, they've... They've uh, not necessarily had a ton of trouble with Mississippi State that much, who runs uh, kind of more of a, a power spread. But uh, you know, if you can if you can challenge them over the top as well as get the quarterback on the move, that seems to be what causes Alabama the most trouble. Um, you know, unless you're just like LSU and you've got five stars at every position to go up against Alabama's five stars at every position. And when you look at maybe Fresno State's defensive approach to this game, because if there's one area, like, okay, offensively, you can scheme, zone block, find creative ways, I, I, I think, to get your guys out in space and get your playmakers the ball, throw in some read option wrinkles, and, and you can keep a defense on their toes. Defensively, Fresno State's in a bit of a different predicament because Alabama's receivers are bigger than Fresno State's linebackers. Uh, what's the plan there? You're not going to out-physical Alabama. There's very few teams in, in college that are going to be capable of out-physicaling Alabama. Uh, unlike a lot of other teams that may be big, like a, a Wisconsin of your, or maybe now Arkansas would be the better way to put it, uh, you're not going to outspeed them because all of Alabama's guys run that 4-5. What's the defensive plan here? Do you have to out-scheme them? Because... That seems like an even more dangerous proposition with Kirby Smart and Nick Saban having that input over there. At least on the offensive side of the ball, you've got Lane Kiffin's pass to work with. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball, Alabama doesn't have too much by way of wiggle room. So, so what's got to be the defensive plan here? Yeah, and a lot of it's going to have to do with whether Lane Kiffin is still there or not. Um, because there's a decent chance that he could get you know, a, a head coaching job or maybe an NFL offensive coordinator job between now and then. Uh, if Kiffin is there, you just got to try to hold on as best you can. And then down the stretch, as, we, as we've seen a few times, um, as we saw in the Sugar Bowl last year when they lost Ohio State, um, Lane Kiffin forgets to run the ball when he's under pressure late in the game. So if you can just, like I said, just All hold on, keep up, keep up with them as best you can, you can start cheating on the pass because he's going to forget to hand it off. Um, but just in general, you know, with Alabama, they're they're definitely a run first kind of program. And you know, Arkansas did a really good job with them last year. And and, and you know, again, part of that was because it was raining. But um, Arkansas didn't have the biggest and fastest defense, but they actually came in there with a really good game plan. And you know, they had a, a probably one of the more underrated defensive lines. So if Fresno State between now and then can really build some quality on that defensive line, that's where it sets up because. Alabama, for whatever reason, has not necessarily been able to develop the most polished passers. Like Blake Sims had a nice passing efficiency, and he had a really good season last year. But um, when it came down to it, he's not the sort of guy who's going to make every throw. And A.J. McCarron could, but he's kind of the aberration because Greg McElroy before him couldn't really do it. John Parker Wilson, I, I don't think he ever broke 130 in passing efficiency. Like, And they're having trouble this year trying to find a quarterback, and they may not have a good one on the roster. We'll see. Um, but if, you know, if AJ McCarron turns out to be the exception to the rule, then, you know, if you can just keep that running game honest and force them into a situation where they are throwing the ball a lot, you know, it, 
they've had Julio Jones, they've had Amari Cooper. They don't have that guy on the roster this year. And with the way Saban recruits, he might find another one of those guys between now and 2017. Uh, but it's not necessarily guaranteed that they will have that future first rounder. So that's really the hope is just get that defensive line as best as you can and don't bite on the play action. And I and I think I'd add in there just from my Kiffy experience too is 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 Kiffin and I think you saw this with Amari Cooper and a lot with with Marquise Lee, but. Kiffin likes to identify sort of a top target within his offense, and then he will move him around in, in various different positions as a receiver to, to free him up. Sometimes he'll line him up in the slot. Sometimes he'll put him out wide. Uh, you have to be able to identify where that guy is in coverage, and you have to pick up whether he's the decoy or the intended target. It seems really simple, but teams really struggle with it, and I think – Last year, uh, Kiffin had the benefit of a guy in Amari Cooper, who, in my opinion, is probably the best receiver he's ever coached. And that includes his time at USC. Amari Cooper was the complete package, in my opinion. Uh, sort of like Robert Woods and, and, and Mark Easley rolled into one with, with no injury issues like the other two. Uh, I, I, I feel like if, if the Alabama does get that receiver, because it's going to happen, there's no way you, at least if you're Alabama, I can't see them sitting on what Amari Cooper just did and being like, ah, you know what? We're not going to exploit this in recruiting. It just doesn't seem like a very Alabama thing to do. So I figure they'll have that guy in there. Because he'll likely be a younger guy, a freshman, because you figure if they don't get him this year, he'll come in next year. So about a freshman, you, you've got to do the little things that trip him up. You've got to have your experienced DB on him, playing mental games with him, jamming at the line, getting in his head. If you can do all of those things in addition to what Dave laid out there, I feel like you can at least work the game back to that. We, we've got a chance territory. And if you're playing Alabama and we've got a chance territory, then you're already winning. Yeah, and that's with, with a team like Alabama, that's the best you can hope for because they end up with certain players like Amari Cooper, like Julio Jones, like uh, TJ Yeldon, where you, know, you think you've got them, you think you've got a chance, and then they just do something unfair because they're a future NFL player and it's, you just kind of have to throw up your hands. And you know they do that to everybody. It's not just you know the the teams from the group of five they'll they'll do that to any sec team there they, they'll just pull something out of nowhere and you're like well you know there's just nothing we could do about that and moving on from alabama you mentioned a brian burrell uh to, to start well sort of there in the middle of the pocket how surprised were you uh to hear that he had just up and left the program in the off season you know that's really surprising it's Usually when, when guys leave, you can kind of see it coming. And, you know, I, I don't know if we ever saw anything that would indicate that. I mean, you know, he had a, a decent enough year and the, the team, you know, made a bowl game, made the Mountain West, uh, you know, championship game. I, I, that, uh, that really surprised me to see that. And what that does leave us with is you mentioned those SEC teams that just, you know, they, they do that to every SEC team. Well, one team they didn't do that to last year was Ole Miss. Um, Ole Miss did that to them. Um, and, and Fresno State will now enter into that game without Brian Burrell. So we, we know that there will be a new guy under center. But we also know that this isn't that. Like, this Ole Miss team isn't that Ole Miss team. Uh, and I think – most educated people would argue that headed into this season, Mississippi State's probably got the better squad. Uh, but nonetheless, Ole Miss, because of how well Hugh Freeze is recruited, I feel like will get their just due uh, come poll time. And they'll probably do pretty damn well in the field. Uh, how would you take a, a – well, it would be a second game. So a first-year starter, second game starter, first Division One opponent, uh, possibly if it's Greenlee, it would be his second. But how would you take a team in there, a young team, into Oxford the second week of the season? It's, it's going to be tough because through about the first half of last year, you could make a case that Ole Miss was playing as the best team in the country. And they started to get some injuries and things started to fall down a bit. But – in terms of high-end 
top line talent, you know, talking about the ones here, uh, Ole Miss can play with just about anybody. And their defense is particularly nasty. I mean, they've got the Kemdichi brothers are the two headliners, um, Denzel as the linebacker and Robert. Um, he started as an end. He's moved over to defensive tackle. I mean, that defense is not going to give up much. They got shredded by TCU in the, you know, in the, the bowl game, and that was pretty much an aberration. That was not um, what they were all year. They, this, for as much as everybody talks about Hugh Freeze and the hurry-up offense and an offensive innovator and whatnot, they won last year because of defense. And when they, they beat Mississippi State in the Egg Bowl last year, it was because of their defense. I mean, they, that was a 31-17 game, and Mississippi State didn't get held under 20 by almost anybody. But, uh, you know, Ole Miss did it. And, and Ole Miss, um, you know, held Boise State down to only 13 in the opener, and that was a pretty good Boise State team. Um, so it, it's going to be tough taking a, somebody inexperienced. The, the one thing I can say is that Ole Miss itself has inexperience at quarterback because they don't really know who their quarterback is right now. Everybody seems to think it's going to be Chad Kelly, probably because he's Jim Kelly's nephew, uh, but he wasn't even the leader coming out of the spring. Uh, Hugh Freeze said it was going to be this guy, Ryan Buchanan. And uh, they also have a uh, Devontae Kincaid in the mix there. And if this was 2007, we'd call him the Wildcat quarterback because he, he kind of has a package where he comes in and runs read option type stuff. Uh, doesn't throw the ball very much, but um, you know, it, it's hard to say what Ole Miss is going to have on offense. Um, they've got a, you know, they're, they're going to have a top five draft pick in, in Laramie Tunsil, the offensive tackle. Laquan, Laquan Treadwell is one of the best wide receivers in the country. And, you know, they've got, uh, uh, they've How got has one he of the looked? best. What's, what's been the reports on him coming out? Because I mean, I think everybody knows what happened to Laquan last year. Oh yeah. Uh, how, how has he bounced back from, from that awful injury? So I believe there's been reports that he's already back running. Um, the, the, he obviously didn't practice any in the spring, but the, uh, so far the coaches seem optimistic that he's going to be back towards something towards full strength. And, you know, they also have one of the best tight ends in the country in Evan Ingram, uh, at least from a path catching perspective. So, um, they've got some people who can hurt you if they've got a guy who can pass the ball and, uh, we'll see if that's the case. Cause Bo Wallace was the quarterback, you know, the past three years and he's gone now. Well, in the event that they find themselves saddled with, I'm going to euphemistically say another bad bow. What, what would be the game plan? Like it, when, cause any time I watched Ole Miss, last, well, during the, the Wallace era, Dr. Bo's era, when he was off, they looked like a completely different team than when he was on, when he was on Ole Miss, truthfully, as you said, looked like they could play with anybody in the country. The ball would be zipping all over the field. They would get guys out in space. Playmakers would be playing to the top of their ability, and, and Wallace would be making confident and incisive passes. But then the other bow would come out, and it would just be dumbass decision after dumbass decision after dumbass decision. And, and you'd watch this team and you'd say, you know, they might struggle to beat an Oregon State at this point. Like, what if they end up with that inefficient, can't-move-it offense and they have to rely on their defense, what are some tricks that you can do to, to pull out the win in that scenario? Because as you said, Boise State, they they weren't able to get the job done. And, and that was a pretty – I mean – to Boy Boise State ended up being a pretty good team last year, but I'd argue they were not that when they met Ole Miss. I think that if the team that met Arizona had played that Ole Miss team, I think they would have beaten them soundly. But uh, I, I don't know. Well, I mean, what's your take on that? Yeah, so I, I would actually ask you a question, which is that you you talked about Bo Wallace. You know about that. Everybody's heard Laquan Treadwell probably. Um, I brought up Evan Ingram. Um, you've probably heard of Dante Moncrief from a couple years ago with their uh, – you know, another great wide receiver. Can you name for me a running back that played at Ole Miss over the past three seasons? No. Nope. Yeah, there's your opening. They, for whatever reason, have not really been able to get a good running game going. And last year, their top running back had 106 carries for 586 yards. Uh, and there's a guy in Jalen Walton, and he was a senior, so he's gone. Um, they've got a home run hitter back in Jordan Wilkins. Uh, he averaged 6.9, but that was only on 52 carries, and a lot of that you know, about 20% of his carries came against Presbyterian, a 1AA school. So you're going to, I think Fresno State's going to be able to stop the run because it's a fairly stoppable run game. And 
if you can do that, and if they, you know, if it's Kelly or if it's Buchanan, if if they're starting to make some of those mental mistakes that that Wallace was infamous for, then Fresno's going to have a chance to cause some trouble. And if they, like I said, I think Ole Miss's defense is going to be really tough. So if uh, if they can force Ole Miss to have to throw the ball almost every down, which I think potentially could be doable, and then you know that that quarterback's making these mistakes, you can get some turnovers that'll flip the field. And maybe you'll get some easy points uh, that that defense might not otherwise um, get. So I think Ole Miss is going to be good. They're not going to be probably challenging for the West title, but they're probably not going to be in the bottom either. Um, they're kind of solidly in the middle. And solidly in the middle of the SEC West this year means probably something in the teens. So they're, they're going to be a really good team. Um, but I think Fresno State has some opportunities if, you know, if, if they can get that if, – if their new quarterback comes in and – can be solid and not turn the ball over. Um, they're going to have a chance to to be in the game towards the end. Now you you look at that game and you say, all right, this is going to be the, the second game of or uh, second game of Ole Miss season, second game of Fresno State season. I, early on in the year, I'm not I'm not asking you to predict the upset here, but early on in the year, I feel like. Even on the fan side of things, you, you go into some of these games and you're thinking they're going to be good and you just you walk away disappointed because so many teams are figuring it out in the early going. Like I remember thinking that that Oregon LSU game a couple years back, it was going to be good. And then the Cliff Harris suspension happened and you're just like, yep, this game wasn't good at all. Like, uh, Are we going to see one of those not good games? Do you think we'll see a good game here? Uh, is Ole Miss a slow starter? How do you see this game actually going? Yeah, so like I said, Ole Miss, they, their first half of last season, they were really, really great. And then they kind of fell apart towards the end. So if they come out kind of the same this coming season, then it may not be all that close. Because like I said, I think Ole Miss's defense is going to be probably a top 10 nationally um, kind of defense. But they've got UT Martin week one, Saturday, September 5th, and they got Fresno on the 12th, and then they've got to go to Tuscaloosa to play Alabama on the 19th. So I, I do think Ole Miss, you know, in a vacuum, probably would win this game by a couple of touchdowns, but if, you know, if, you know they may not have their edge completely there thanks to playing UT Martin in the first game. They'll probably win that one, you know, by some huge margin. So they may be feeling good about themselves. And then they've got Alabama coming up the next week, there's a real chance that they could overlook Fresno State. And, uh, you know, if I, I don't know if there's a line on this game yet, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Fresno State cover because there is that, you know, look-ahead type situation. Um, Ole Miss is the better team. They should win the game. But there are opportunities for Fresno State uh, to keep it close and, and make it interesting. All right, and we'll get you out of here on a couple easy ones, man. Uh, again, we really appreciate your time. You know, you you mentioned you like what DeRuiter is doing there uh, at, or here at Fresno State. Uh, from an outsider's perspective, what what do you see nationally? I mean, you're at the time, I would say all the way on the other side of the coast, you were at the time. Um, you've since obviously moved to the other side of the world, but – what did you see all the way over there in Florida during the DeRuiter era? You know, I'm seeing improvements. I'm seeing a team that's become, you know, things got kind of stale there towards the end of the Pat Hill era, and they really needed some someone to come in and re-energize the place, and I think he's done that. I, I think Fresno State is not a team that a lot of people on the East Coast think about a whole lot, but like what you were saying, that game against USC – I think everybody probably thinks of that game. Like, if you bring up Fresno State and ask somebody on the East Coast, tell me one thing about Fresno State, they'll say, oh, yeah, they almost beat USC that one time. And so I think there's a, a chance for them to kind of become, you know, kind of one of those America's darling kind of teams if they can, you know, come, come up with a, a close call against Ole Miss or maybe even beat Ole Miss if, if things come together right. Um, I, I think there would be a lot of positive uh, feelings nationally about Fresno State. I don't think um, the program has ever given anybody reason to, to not like them. And I know a lot of people liked Pat Hill if for no other reason than the mustache. So <laughs> for, for the casual fans, um, there's nothing but good memories of Fresno State in, in the background and in the past. And it, if DeRuiter keeps building and can get them up to the top of the Mountain West – then it, there would be a lot of sympathetic eyes, uh, you know, viewing their seasons coming up in the future. 
And then lastly, I, I, I guess I ask you, I, I, I know you probably took a gander at Fresno State's schedule and, you know, just, just from an outsider's perspective based on what you saw last year to what they have this year, do you think that we'll see some improvements? Uh, because there's there's been some concern for Fresno State fans with that defense and how poor it's been. Uh, do you think that there's reason to be optimistic about improvements uh, with the schedule that they have this year? You know, it's it's possible. It's going to be tough with with some of the like the road schedule doesn't seem to be all that favorable because you got to go to Ole Miss, um, you got to go to BYU. Um, you never know what you're going to get when you go out to the islands, and they have to go out to Hawaii this year. Um, so, it, of course, you know Hawaii is not very good, so that, that may neutralize that. And and with the way that San Jose San Jose Even State still, has still a couple of years ago they've had problems with them. Like yeah, when they and, went to Hawaii two years ago in their uh, in their near unbeaten season, they had a real problem with them. They had to put the starters back in. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I have forgotten about that. So yeah, there's there's that danger sitting there in in November. Um, you know, I think. They get Colorado State at home, which is good. Uh, I think Colorado State made a pretty good hire in, in former Georgia offensive quarter, Mike, coordinator Mike Bobo. I think he's probably one of the more underrated offensive minds nationally because most people don't realize this, but Georgia had, at least if you look at the advanced stats like F-plus and S&P-plus, Georgia in the past three seasons has had two of the top ten uh, offenses, I, I believe. So I have no reason to think that they're going to fall off after McIlwain left. Um, that's going to be a real, real tough game there, sitting there at the last game of the season. Um, and I... If I'm Fresno State, I don't want my bowl eligibility hanging on that game because that's that's going to be tough. Um, but you know, there, there's potential for improvement. I, I don't know that they're going to start off better than two and two. You know, they'll beat Abilene Christian. They should beat San Jose State, which has fallen apart without Mike McIntyre. Um, I don't know that they'll beat Ole Miss or Utah, um, but you know, they might beat Utah. It, it's it's not on the road, so that that could help. But um, you know, especially with the way that Utah State has really built up. Um, and, and them being there as a cross-division kind of game, that, that's kind of a, a rough roll of the dice where they get both Colorado State and Utah State from the other side. So, uh, you know, they may not it, – it's one of those situations where they, they could be a better team and still end up with kind of a similar record to what they had last year. I lied. I want to ask one more thing. Because <laughs> uh, you brought up Bobo and McIlwain. Uh, first of all, what, what is the Mountain West getting in a guy like Bobo? And, and secondly – you think Colorado State should have played for more money knowing how badly Florida wanted McIlwain? Like, do you think they should have gone for more than $5 million? Well, they're, they're getting $5 million out of UF, and then they're getting $2 million out of Jim McIlwain personally. So they are getting the full $7 million of that buyout. Um, so Colorado State played things perfectly. I, I think didn't realize Florida, he was paying him too. I, yeah, I it's coming out of his that. It's coming out of his own pocket. Like, I think Florida rolled in there, and normally when Florida – does these coaching ser- searches and stuff, they try to keep things quiet until the very end. Like, I don't think Muschamp's name came out until about the day before they hired him, um, whereas this time they were super like loud and noisy about it. Like they, they have an in-house journalist on their staff, guy used to write for a newspaper in Tampa, and like he tweeted that, hey, I'm jumping on the team plane right now on the day that people were um, reporting that Jeremy Foley, the AD, was going out to Colorado. So they made it as loud and noisy as possible. I think their strategy was, look, we're going to make it impossible for McIlwain to return. And therefore, you know, if it's untenable for him to come back, then Colorado State's got to come down and Colorado State was like, nope, because we got the law on our side. And they played it perfectly, and they're getting the full $7 million. So um, they, they did exactly right with that. And then with Bobo, he, he runs basically Mark Rick's offense. And Mark Rick's offense, if you remember what Florida State ran in the 1990s, it's basically an updated version of that. Um, he has kept up with the times, but at the same time, like I can think, I've attended so many Florida Georgia games over the the time Rick has been there, and there are just certain plays where you know he's got a, a this great intermediate passing route. Like if you get Georgia back, if you got Georgia backed up in their own territory, you know, got you know first and ten on the ten or something. You basically knew that they were going to complete a twenty yard pass uh, to get out of that hole. You didn't know how it was going to happen. But, you know, it just third down, you know, third and 12 would come and then they'd connect on that, that uh, corner route for 20 yards. And you're just like, man, everybody in the stadium knew that was coming and it still worked because they were, they were very good at, at fundamentals. Um, there was kind of a running joke among Georgia fans about run the dang ball, Bobo, because 
they didn't think he ran the ball enough, but that it's not like Lane Kiffin where he forgets to run the ball. It's that their passing game was good enough that um, they didn't necessarily have to run it that much. So he he's, like I said, he was kind of underrated. I think it was one of those situations where everybody thinks, well, yeah, Bobo's the offensive coordinator, but they're running Mark Rick's system. But Rick hasn't done, hasn't called plays in a long time. It, it was really Bobo's offense. And they... You look at what Aaron Murray did. He completely rewrote the SEC passing record book, and they've done a wonderful job at developing running backs there from Noshawn Moreno, um, you know, through Todd Gurley and, and Nick Chubb's the newest one. So it, he's he's a someone who can develop talent and he can put together um, coherent game plans. So he'll, he will have that uh, one game a year where it, it just makes no sense that they lost, um, but sometimes that was the defense and not Bobo's fault. So it. it I, it was a, a very good hire. It was not the obvious hire, um, but I think it was a very good hire for Colorado State. And is Bobo going to bring anything? I swear to God, this will be the last one. Is Bobo going to bring anything? Because every coach I find, when they come into it, their own program, they maybe institute something that the previous head coach that they were under didn't want. Do you see Bobo bringing any things, like maybe a mobile quarterback, something like that, or is he going to probably stick with what it was? It's going to be very similar. Uh, it's, you know, Aaron Murray had some wheels, but he really scrambled. He never really ran. Uh, he's very much a, a drop back passer, traditional, what you'd think of as pro style. Um, it's not as hideously complex as a Jimbo Fisher pro style, but, you know, he's, he's not going to be running zone read. He's not going to be, um, you know, it, it's not going to be hurry up. It's going to be your, what you, what you would think of as a traditional pro-style type offense, but modernized for the age. They keep up with the times. They'll run some package plays sometimes. Um, but it's probably going to look very similar to the sort of thing McElwain ran. All right, Dave. Well, hey, listen, man, I appreciate all the time you've given us. And if you uh, can take this time to sort of tell our listeners where they can find you uh, and any things that you might be working on here coming up. Sure. So the the website to go to is teamspeedkills.com. Uh, it's a, the SEC-focused site for SB Nation. Um, we're going to be launching into season previews here very shortly. Um, we're wrapping up the College World Series right now because um, SEC has been uh, a major presence in there. And then you can find me on Twitter at year two. That's Y E A R, the number two. All right. Good stuff, good. man. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Take it, Lucio. Oh, no. I'm just, uh, I was just saying it sounds good. Um, is there any final thoughts you want to, uh, to add on to anything of the, of that, uh, Josh or, um, or do you no, wanna... I, I, I think Dave's pretty much hit the nail on the head for everything today. Um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens this year for Fresno State. I, I think it's definitely going to be interesting. I know I know he's just as interested as I am to find out how the whole scheduling process vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, Power 5 teams versus Group of 5, etc., 9-game versus 8-game. I, I, I think he's just as excited to see how that stuff plays out as I do. And, and truthfully, we're all guessing right now because if anybody would have told you that Ohio State was getting into the playoff and would win the national title beforehand, like you'd be like, bullshit, dude. You'd call BS, man. Like nobody, nobody would have believed you. So I, I, I do think that we're all kind of we're, we're learning how this is going to play out, man. In, in a sociological experiment, we are in the very early phases of testing where we don't know what to expect. Yeah, definitely. And, and Fresno is going to be one of those where I think this year it's going to it's going to really uh, depend on what kind of a passing game we're going to have uh, that Fresno State's going to have because um, we don't know what they're going to have. Uh, Fresno's wide receiver group, big question mark. Uh, the quarterback, quarterback question another mark. question mark. So the running, the only thing that's the depth, pretty solid. The depth at running back, question mark. Like, like if anything happens to Martez Waller, the running game gets a question mark. Ex like that's exactly. Just, so Martez Waller is like one bad play away, but – uh, you know, Dave, I, I, I appreciate your time, man. I look forward to having you on again, probably, hopefully, maybe uh, before the after the Ole Miss game or before the Alabama game, sir. Sure. And, and take it from a Florida fan. Fresno State is the good FSU. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dave, we'll let you get to your evening, my man. And uh, we will be in touch soon, my friend. Sounds good. Uh, well, um, Josh, that was a that was a, a great interview. Uh 
yeah. I know I kind of I kind of sat back and let you guys go at it because I'm you guys are more familiar with with all, with all that. So I was just I was having a front row uh, front row seat just enjoying the the conversation there. Um, yeah, no, uh, a, a completely solid podcast with a wonderful guest. And, you know, on that note, I'll, I'll just say this and we can wrap it up. Uh, we, keep in mind, we still have Kevin McGuire uh, from College Football Talk. He's going to be on. I just confirmed with him for not this upcoming Monday, but a week from tomorrow. So uh, then we also have what Andrew Martin talking Bulldog baseball and basketball on thursday right lucio yeah that's coming up this thursday we'll we'll get that uh that recording set up so that we can get it up on the website so and then we also have shotgun this tuesday i believe at 11 or 10 or this at this tuesday afternoon i man we've booked so many podcasts uh, recently that I'm, I'm losing track of the dates and times that's okay. why i've got lucio <laughs> yeah the next but, podcast uh, is thursday then the but following no, no 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 we have shotgun on tuesday that much i do know uh no you I thought you set that one up for the t- oh wait a minute no yeah yeah that's uh, right <laughs> I win I win see I'm I'm having a hard time maybe, keeping track maybe of maybe I should get Lucio a Lucio that, I, uh, yeah uh, it's it's but, it, it's tough to keep track of them but we'll get them going but uh, yeah we have Shotgun coming up on Tuesday and he is actually at the College World Series right now and he'll be talking nothing but Bulldog baseball so you guys won't want to miss that and. uh other than that, man, I think we pretty much hit the nail on the head. As always, Lucio, why don't you wrap us up? All right. So if you guys would like to uh, send us your questions and thoughts, uh, you can email us at redwavereport at gmail.com, redwavereport at gmail.com. Send us your thoughts. Send us your uh, comments. We'd like to hear from you. So we have yet to uh, get anybody to send those, but we're waiting. Um, also, you can follow me at redwavereport.com. Uh, on Twitter and look at our Facebook page. We also got some information going on that. So Josh also tell them how they can get a hold of you. They can get a hold of me on Twitter at fight on twist or shoot me an email at or uh, twist at uscfootball.com. So everyone stay tuned. We've got like uh, Josh was saying earlier, we have plenty in the pipeline coming up. So uh, just keep tuning back and we will uh, get all those latest news and updates of Fresno State Athletics. So again, head over to thebarkboard.com and uh, check us out and see what we have going on. We have just gone to a couple of uh, camps and we're going to be going to another one again tomorrow, I believe. And uh, so we'll get some of that information up on the website. So keep checking back. All right. So everyone have a happy Father's Day and we'll see you again next time.